how many is ready for the word? Y'all ready for the word? So I was um, prayerfully considering what to share with you tonight. And I'm going to share with you an Old Testament story found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. It's an Old Testament story found in 1 Kings chapter 21. Now the story is a little lengthy, so I'm going to read most of it to you. Uh, I might not read all of it to you for the sake of time. Uh, I think that you're listening, so I could paraphrase some of the story. But Naboth, this is Naboth's vineyard, all right? And so it's 1 Kings chapter 21. Let me read some of it to you. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the place of Ahab the king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it's near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it. If it seems good to you, I will give, you it, I will give it value in money. But Naboth said to King Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed, turned his face, and would not eat his food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed and you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth. And he said to me, and, and, and said to me, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'll give another vineyard for it. And he answered and told me, I will not give my vineyard to you. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now not know that you govern Israel? Arise and eat bread. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived where Naboth lived. And she wrote the letters and said, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men, and set two worthless men opposite of him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying that Naboth has cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders and the leaders who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had said, as it is written in the letters that she had said to write. They proclaimed a fast, and they set Naboth at the head of the table. And two worthless men who sat in opposite of him brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying that Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside of the city, stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, and he is now dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, which he refused to give to you, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, for he is certainly dead. And as soon as Ahab heard of Naboth's death, he arose and went down and took possession of the vineyard. So this is an interesting story. Um, this, is a, this is a narrative. This is a, uh, a historical account of 
several figures. You have Ahab, which is the king. You have Jezebel, which is the king's wife. You have a person by the name of Naboth who had a vineyard. And uh, the vineyard was probably a, um, you know, uh, it was probably a grape vineyard, something to make wine with. And so, uh, and, the, and this vineyard was very close to Ahab's palace. And so Ahab wanted this vineyard. So you have uh, King Ahab, who was very wicked. You have Jezebel, who was wicked as well. You have Naboth, who was a righteous man who had a vineyard, and this vineyard was close to King Ahab. And then you have a prophet by the name of Elisha, and he is later described in the story. So you have basically four people in the story. And so what I want to do is look at these four people, and then I want to give you some lessons from the story, okay? So number one, I want you to see King Ahab. King Ahab is a very wicked man. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, and I want to read a few scriptures about King Ahab. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter number 17 and verse number 30. 1 Kings 17 and verse number, uh, yes, let's see here. Chapter, I'm sorry, 11. Got that wrong. Chapter 11. No, I think I got that wrong as well. Let me find let me find this scripture here. Um, so Ahab, the Bible says, uh, there he there he is. First Kings chapter sixteen, and beginning with verse number thirty. And Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all who came before him. Now get this. So let's look at King Ahab. King Ahab, it says in 1 Kings 16, did more evil than any other king before him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he took a wife. Her name was Jezebel. And uh, she served the gods of Baal, and she worshipped them. And the Bible says that King Ahab erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all of the kings before him. So number one, let's look at let's cook, look at King Ahab. He's very wicked. He did more evil than any other king in the scriptures. Very evil. He married a woman who was already committing uh, evil. She was already serving Baal. She was already worshiping the gods. Uh, of uh, of Bel and she worshiped them and they both the bible says erected an altar to Bel in the house of Bel uh and they built that in the city of Samaria so this is a couple who is doing business together they're very evil and they erected altars to Bel and they worshiped Bel and they built a house for Bel so not only do they worship Bel the bible says they're building a house for him so they have a location. They have a they have a place where you can go and worship Bel. Now, why is this important? Well, it's because the children of Israel also had a place. They had a temple where they worshiped God. Well, here King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had a place where they worshiped Bel. They erected altars to Bel and they worshiped him. Uh, the Bible also says in First Kings chapter eighteen and verse number eighteen. 
The Bible says that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel looked at Elisha as a troubler, that he was a troubler in the house of Israel. So here is God's people being led astray by King Ahab and Jezebel. They were led astray into Baal worship. They were led astray into adultery. They were led astray into worshiping other gods. And you see, number one, you see the power of influence and you see the power of leadership. These people were in leadership and they were leading God's people astray into bell worship. And there were only approximately 7,000 people that hadn't bowed their knee to bell. So out of all the people in Israel, you know, there was at least 7,000 people that hadn't worshiped Baal. So that means to tell me there's a lot of people worshiping Baal here. King Ahab and Jezebel is leading lots of people astray. Lots of people are worshiping Baal. They have altars erected to him. They have a house where they worship Baal. I mean, the people are really in deception, and Ahab and Jezebel are at the head of this. They are, they are at the forefront of this worship. They are leading people astray. People are leaving the house of God, and, and the nation is in a downhill spiral And because of King Ahab and Jezebel. So you see the power of influence. You see leadership. You know, leadership have the power to direct the ship, and they were directed in the opposite way of what it needed to go. And and there's other scriptures that I could read to you, but I actually don't have time to read all of this to you. But uh, the scripture is very, very important as you see this, that um, that King uh, Ahab and Jezebel were very, very wicked people. And uh, so not very many people worshiping God. And uh, King Ahab is very wicked. Jezebel is right behind him, and she is very manipulative. And so this is the setting. This is what's going on in the nation. And, and it's interesting to me that God always has a remnant in the midst of corruption. He always has a remnant in the midst of corruption. Right in the midst of this corruption, there's a prophet by the name of Elisha. He's in the midst of the corruption, and he's a voice of God in the midst of corruption. Let me say something. It doesn't matter how corrupt the world may be or how corrupt the government may be or how corrupt this may be or that may be. God always has a remnant of people who is true to his name and true to his presence. So listen, God is not mocked. God always has a remnant. God always has a people, and there's nothing for us to fear. And so God has God has a person here. He had Elisha, who was true to his voice. He had a remnant of people, at least 7,000, who hadn't bowed their knee to bell. So there's a remnant of people, and there's a prophet speaking God's voice. Another thing that I want you to see is that God's voice will always be heard, even in the midst of corruption. Somebody can hear his voice. Somebody will hear his voice. Somebody's true to the heart of God. And so Elisha is true to the heart of God. He's hearing the heart of God and he's speaking the heart of God in the midst of corruption. And Ahab and Jezebel called him a troubler. And let me tell you something, when you really stand up for righteousness and when you stand up for truth, somebody's not going to like it. They called him a troubler. When you stand up for righteousness and you stand up for morality and you stand up for what the word of God says, somebody is going to label you as a troubler. Amen. Somebody is going to label you as a troubler. And so they labeled him as a troubler. So that is the context of what's happening here. And the Bible says that Ahab lived in an ivory palace. It's another thing I want you to see about Ahab. He lived in the ivory palace. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning with verse number 39, 
the Bible says, now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and the cities that he built, are they not recorded in the book of Chronicles? So not only is he very wicked, but he's very rich. All right. And let me tell you something. The amount of your possessions doesn't define your righteousness. The amount of your possessions does not define your righteousness or your unrighteousness. Wealth is just a tool. It's neutral and it's depending upon what hand it comes into. So money is neutral. If it comes in contact with a greedy person, then it's going to explore greediness. But if it comes in contact with a generous person, then they're going to be generous with it. So money is neutral. But here, Ahab is selfish. He is wealthy. He is rich. He built himself an ivory house. He built cities. So he's very wealthy. He's very rich. Now, why do I need to tell you that? Because you need to know that for the context of the story. So we come to the story of Naboth. Here is Naboth. He's a righteous man, and he has a vineyard. And this vineyard is right next to Ahab, right next to Ahab's palace, his ivory house, right next to his ivory house, right next to his house. Uh, Naboth had a vineyard. Now, we assume that Naboth is a believer in God because of his vocabulary here. He says to Naboth that he can't sell the vineyard because of because of his ancestors, because of the Jewish law. So obviously this man is a believer in God. So this man has a vineyard, probably of grapes. Uh, he has a vineyard and is sitting next to Ahab's palace, his ivory palace. And Ahab decided one day that since it's next to his house, he wants his he wants this vineyard. He wants this, uh, he, he would like to have it. And why would he like to have it? He would like to have it for a vegetable garden, is what the Bible says. So he goes to Naboth and says, listen, I will give you money for your vineyard, or you can pick another piece of land. I'll give another piece of land, or I'll give you money for it. So can I have your vineyard? And you know what Naboth says? Naboth says this. He says, the Lord forbid that I should give it to you because of the inheritance of my fathers. Now, according to the Levitical law, uh, this was called, this was the ancestral religious uh, obligation. There was an obligation for a Jewish man to protect his property so that he can give it to his inheritance, so he can give it to his children's children, so he can leave a legacy. And so he knew this, Naboth being a Jew, Naboth serving God, understand the an ancestral religious laws. He understood that he needed to give this to his future family, his future children. And so he wasn't going to sell it, nor was he going to give it away. He wanted to leave a legacy to his children. So he refused to sell it to the king. He refused to sell it. And, uh, and because he refused to sell it, Naboth said, the Lord forbid that I should do this. So Naboth is a righteous man. He's keeping the law. He's a righteous man, and he refused to sell it even though the king was asking for it. I want to say something. I could shout on this subject. This is a man of character. This is a, how do you know you're a person of character? When you can stand against opposition and you can stand in the face of opposition and be true to your values. 
That is how you know you're a man of character. When you can stand in the face of opposition and be true to your values, then you know that you're a man of character. And Naboth is a man of character because he stood in the face of opposition. He stood in the face of the king and refused to sell it to the king because he was true to his values and his value was keeping the law. This is a man of character. Uh, and you know what? The one thing that we need more than anything else, we need people of character. We need people of character. We need people that will stay true to their values in the face of opposition. It doesn't matter who the voice was. He was going to stay true to the voice of God. The voice of God was stronger than the voice of Ahab. And when the voice of God is stronger than the voice of opposition, then you will be true to that voice. And let me ask you a question tonight, Christ Point. Is the voice of God stronger than the voice of opposition? Because when the voice of God is stronger in the face of opposition, then you will be true to your values. Stay true to your values. Stay true to those things that you value. They're non-negotiable. And so uh, Naboth said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sell out. I am not going to sell out. And that's the type of people we need. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care how much money you give me. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care how much property you're going to give me. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care how much affirmation you give me. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care what you give me. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care how beautiful it is. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care how much it, how much money you give me. I'm not going to sell out. I don't care of the possessions or the positions. I don't care of the prestige. I'm not going to sell out. People who don't sell out are people of character. And who, what is a person of character? A person is, of character is a person who can stand in the face of opposition and be true to their values. That is a person of character. That is a person that refuses to sell out. And I think that we need more people that, that will say in the face of opposition, I refuse to sell out. I don't care how much money you offer me. I don't care the titles and the prestige and the positions. I refuse to sell out. And Naboth had that attitude. I refuse to sell out. I refuse to sell out. I refuse to compromise in the face of captivity. I'm not going to I'm not going to compromise in the face of captivity. No matter what you do to me, I'm not going to compromise. Hallelujah. And there are many people today that will compromise in the face of captivity because they seem to think that captivity is stronger uh, is is stronger than their character. Listen, if you will stand up in the midst of captivity and you will refuse to compromise in the face of captivity, your character grows stronger and stronger. That's how your character grows. Your character is like a muscle. It has to have opposition once in a while. So you've got to learn to stand in the face of opposition so that your character will continue to grow. And that is why the older saints that you know, that is why they have some older saints that I know have a lot of have a lot. I respect these older saints. You know why? Because it took years to develop character. It took years of saying, I'm not going to sell out. It took years of them standing their ground and standing in their vineyard and saying, I refuse to sell out. Those people, those people over time have built their character, have built muscles of character. And as a result, they die a life that is respected. I'd rather die respected than to die knowing that I sold out. Amen. Don't sell out for anybody. And so 
And what happens? What happens? You see, you see Naboth's character. And you see Ahab. Here is a king who is rich. He's in an ivory house. And what does he do? He goes home and goes to bed and looks at the wall and he sulks in his pity party. That is just blows my mind. Here is a man who is rich, lives in an ivory house, and goes home sulking, crying like a baby because he can't have his neighbor, neighbor's vineyard. Let me tell you, folks, that is what I call greed. That is what I call selfishness. That is what I call greed and selfishness. He wanted the thing so much. He desired the thing so much that it affected his emotions. I think that could be obsession. That could be greed. When you desire something so much that, uh, that it absolutely affects your demeanor and it affects your emotions, then maybe you have a problem. I heard, I think that I, I heard one theologian say it like this. There comes a time in your progression with God that you challenge those things that you are attached to. Challenge anything that you're attached to. Challenge those attachments. And as you walk with God, you have to challenge those things that you are attached to. You shouldn't be attached to anything or anyone but God. He deserves your total allegiance. And if you are attached to someone or something, then that's when it becomes dangerous. And here is Ahab. He was so emotionally attached to the vineyard that it affected his emotion so much that he had a pity party and went to bed. And not only did it affect his emotions, it was so noticeable that his wife comes in and says, why aren't you eating? What's wrong? And here is this pity party. This Ahab is having a pity party. He's like, I can't have that vineyard. I want the vineyard. And you know what his wife did? His wife was very, very manipulative. She says, Ahab, and you know, she's kind of rebuking him. You know what she says to him? She says, do you not govern Israel? Get up and eat your food. You know what Jezebel was saying? Get up off of that bed, dude. You are the king. And if you want the vineyard, go get the vineyard. You see how manipulative she is? Let me say this. Just because you have power doesn't mean that you should walk all over people's property, and it doesn't mean that you should walk all over people's character, and it doesn't mean that just because you have power, it doesn't give you the excuse and the reason to abuse people. Somebody should say amen. Power should never be used to abuse someone, and that's exactly what's happening here. Jezebel is trying to convince Ahab, listen, dude, you're the king. If you want it, you have the power. If you want it, go get it. Power should never be used to control people. Power should never be used to abuse people. Somebody say amen. Should never be used for that. Power reveals who you truly are. Moses was the meekest man on the earth. He had a lot of power but power was under restraint and that's what it means to be meek means power is restricted power is under restraint it doesn't mean you abuse people 
It doesn't mean that you control people. Amen. And he had the wrong idea of power. And Jezebel said, well, if you want it, go get it. If you want it, go get this. And so Jezebel said, you know, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. I'll take care of it for you. So she she says, she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to proclaim a fast. And, uh, I, and at the end of the fast, I want you all to eat. And, uh, and I want somebody to accuse Naboth of, of blaspheming God and the king. And so that's what happened. They proclaimed a fast. They had this celebration. And uh, now Jezebel wrote a letter and said, this is what I want done. I want the chief officers. I want the elders of the city where Naboth lives. I want two people to accuse him of blaspheming God and the king. And when you accuse him, take him out and stone him. And so that's exactly what happened. And so a letter was sent back to Jezebel saying that Naboth has been stoned to death. And so what does she do? She goes back into the king and says, listen, Naboth's dead. Go get the, go get, go get the vineyard. And that's what, Jez, that's what Ahab did. Ahab got up. He ate some food, went out there, got his vineyard, took possession over it. It's a sad story, isn't it? Naboth, Naboth died. And you know what's really sad? Nobody questioned Jezebel. That's what's sad. Jezebel wrote a letter. Now get this. She wrote a letter, sent it to the officers and elders of the city that Naboth lived in, and they automatically agreed with Jezebel and falsely accused Naboth. Nobody disagreed. Nobody disagreed with Jezebel. The community agreed with her. Let me tell you something. Just because the community is in agreement doesn't make something right. Just because more people say yes doesn't make it right. Just because everybody's in agreement doesn't make everything right. And so everybody agreed. Listen, they didn't question her authority. Leadership that can't be questioned is unquestionable leadership. I'm about to shout. Did y'all hear that? Leadership that can't be questioned is actually questionable leadership. They did not question Jezebel. They did not question Jezebel. Didn't question her. She told them to accuse him falsely and to stone him to death. And they never, they should have questioned him. You know why? Because these are the people that lived in the same city with Naboth. They should have known his character. They lived in the same city, and yet they agreed with Jezebel. They didn't question her leadership. So leadership that is not questioned is questionable leadership. It's okay for leadership to be questioned. Boy, I, I've known a lot of leaders in my life, and I try really, really hard. I try really, really hard to allow people to question me. Now, have I always been perfect? No. Have I been defensive? Yes. I think that's our human nature. But leadership that can't be questioned is questionable leadership. You see, they never question Jezebel. And, and I, I want to be—I want to be a leader that doesn't have a defensive spirit that can answer questions. Amen. Now you always will have somebody that will try to question you, but 
for the mere purpose of bringing you down. Of course, there is exceptions to this, but you understand what I'm saying. So, um, and so Naboth dies, and Ahab goes out, gets the vineyard, and then what happens? The word of the Lord came to Elisha in rebuke. He went to Ahab and rebuke him. And what happens to Ahab? You know, let me say this. I have so much information. I kind of feel overwhelmed that I can't share all of it with you. But you know what was interesting about this story? And I, let me back up a few moments. What's interesting about this story is that a Jezebel used, let me make sure I get this right. She used, she used a religious ritual to condemn a free ritual religious man. Let me say that again. Uh, Jezebel used a religious ritual to condemn a religious man. Now that's interesting. Jezebel used a religious ritual to condemn a religious man. In other words, Jezebel worships Bel, but she mixed religion in to kill Naboth. Because remember, she said, proclaim a fast. Bring Naboth in. She used religion. And that's what a Jezebel spirit will do. Jezebel spirits will use religion to manipulate you to get their will. Oh, somebody better say amen. A Jezebel spirit will use religion to twist and to manipulate you so that their will is accomplished. And that's exactly what Jezebel did. She used religion to manipulate, to get her will, and to kill Naboth. And she isn't, she didn't even serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She serves Bel, but she used religion to get her way. And that's what a Jezebel spirit will do. A Jezebel spirit will use religion to manipulate to get their way. You ever heard of those people? Yeah, there's lots of people that will use religion to get their way. And that's a Jezebel spirit. And you know what else I saw? And I have so much information, I'm not even sure if I can finish it tonight. But do you remember Jehu, the prophet that was anointed king? And, and, you know, he went to Jezreel to prophesy against Jezebel. And you remember the story when he gets there. Guess what Jezebel does? She gets up, she looks out the window. And what does Jezebel do? She paints her face. And she says, oh, Jehu. She paints her face. And Jehu comes up there and sees Jezebel, and she's painted her face. Why did she paint her face? She painted her face because she she, she, will, she wanted to seduce Jehu, because Jehu was anointed the new king of Israel. And so since Ahab is dead, she's going to try to seduce him, because that's what a, that's what a manipulative Jezebel spirit will do. It will try to seduce you. If it can't get you with religion, it will get you with physical appearance. If they can't use religion, they'll use sex. And that's, that's, that's what the devil will do. He has nothing new under his sleeve. He, the devil will use power, money, and sex. Those are the three things he will use all the time. So she couldn't, she couldn't use religion. All right. So now she, she paints her face. And that's what a Jezebel spirit will do. Because the word anointing is the word for paint. A Jezebel spirit paints her face but it's a false anointing, okay? The word anointing in Hebrew means to paint or to mean to paint or to smear or to make fat. That's the Hebrew word for anointing 
or to anoint in Hebrew. But Jezebel paints her face with makeup. Paints her face with makeup because it's a false anointing. It's a false appearance. And so, therefore, a Jezebel spirit will not only use religion, but it will also use physical appearance to, to seduce you. So, Jezebel is a manipulative spirit here. Now, Elisha comes and he begins to prophesy. He rebukes Ahab. And guess what Ahab does? Ahab repents, basically. He repents and says, I've done wrong. I've sinned. And you know what? Ahab doesn't even claim to be a follower of Jehovah. But he's back and forth, back and forth. He's in trouble, so he repents. And the prophet, the prophet Elisha says, well, you're going to be spared right now, but it, the judgment's going to come up on your children. It's going to come up on your children. And um, now, what this is, this is interesting. The king eventually dies, okay? The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter number 22 that the King Ahab is in battle and a random arrow is shot and it hits King Ahab and he's in the chariot and so he's dying and he says to the person in the chariot, prop me up. So they prop King Ahab up in the chariot as he's dying. And he, he did that because he wanted people to know he was the king. He wanted to be strong. He wanted to be vibrant in the battle, even though he's he's propped up. And you know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me? The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, how many times do we prop things up in our life that's dying? We prop things up in our life that's dying. We prop old programs up, and we know the program's dying. We prop relationships up. We know it's dying. We prop things up even though we know it's dying. And that's what they did to King Ahab. They propped him up in the chariot and he's dying. And they propped him up. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, how many times do we prop things up when things are dying? When things are dead, we prop things up because we don't want to give the appearance that something is dead. What does it go back? It goes back to our pride. Our pride never wants to admit that anything's dying. But sometimes it's good to let things go. Sometimes it's good to let it go. If the horse is not, if, if the horse is dead, dismount the horse. And so King Ahab dies. Now you say, well, pastor, pastor, what can I learn from this story? It's an odd story. Here's a righteous man that dies. A righteous man, Naboth, is a righteous man who tried to follow the custom of his fathers, tried to follow the Levitical law, and he dies because of a selfish king by the name of Ahab and a selfish queen by the name of Jezebel, he dies. And so it's a story that's kind of disheartening. But what can you learn from the story? Very quickly, number one, we learn from this story, and I've already given you lots of points. I mean, there's so much that can be learned from the story. But number one, you learn from the story that God is not rushed. Naboth died. Jezebel and Ahab did not die instantly. They died eventually. So it tells me that God is not rushed. God is very comfortable with letting things play out over a very long time. We think that sometimes the wicked is getting away with it. The wicked isn't getting away with it. God is sovereign and God is comfortable in letting things ride out. God, listen, God don't forget. He doesn't forget 
the wicked deeds of people. We forget. God doesn't forget. So that is why God is okay about not being rushed. God, number one, is not rushed. And you know why God is not rushed? God doesn't have amnesia. He doesn't forget. So therefore, he remembers and he'll take care of it. So be at peace and be at rest. When we think that evildoers are prospering, they may be prospering now, but God don't forget. All right? God doesn't forget. Number two, God is not mocked. Do you think God's character is going to be mocked? Do you think that God is, God's character is going to be mocked? That God is going to allow his servant Naboth to die in vain? God is not mocked. God is not rushed. He'll take care of it in his time. Amen? Number three, we learn from this story that good people will suffer and good people will even die. I hate to say it. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. All right? Now, how can we come in terms with good people will suffer and good people will die? How can we come in terms with this? Because it really tells us that it really tells us the value of eternity, that we don't understand the value of eternity. We don't understand the value of it. We don't comprehend the value of it. We don't comprehend that right beyond this curtain of life, there is a glorious life that awaits us, that eye hath not seen nor ear hath heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what waits for them who love God. It teaches us the value of eternity, that how can we look at good people dying and good people suffering and, and reconcile our thoughts with that? It means that we don't, we don't understand the value of eternity. We don't understand the importance of eternity, that it's more important and more valuable than we could ever imagine. Remember what Paul said? Those things which are seen are temporal, and those things which we do not see are eternal. Number four, it teaches us that it seems as though evil people get by with it. Evil people don't get by with it. Ahab died. You know how he died? By a random shot from an arrow. God's sovereign. God is sovereign. God made sure that the wicked paid. Jezebel. Hmm. You know how she died? The Bible says two eunuchs threw her off of the wall, and she fell, and her blood splattered against the wall. And the dogs came and ate. And her hands, I think her hands and her head was left. God, it, it may seem like evil people's getting by with it. Evil people don't get by. God is not rushed, though. Number five, God deals with evil and disobedience. Listen, our timing is not God's timing. God will deal with it. It also tells us, this story tells us that God is forgiving because Ahab repented. Look at verses 29 through 34 of chapter 22 of 1 Kings. Ahab did repent. When, when, the, when the prophet rebuked him for stealing the vineyard, Ahab repented quickly. And God spared his life temporarily. So God is forgiving. And number seven tells us that God always speaks truth. 
because the prophet Elisha came and spoke truth. So even in the midst of this, truth will be spoken. There will always be a voice of truth in the midst of corruption. And the voice of truth will not always be the most popular voice. Will not always be the most popular voice. Elisha was not always the most popular voice. He wasn't the most popular voice, but he was the most needful voice. Amen.